Uh, I mean, I are we live? No, we're not. I mean, we. I don't know if I want to do like the Aaron thing where you know where there's some intro conversation. You get the the big brass instruments, whatever. I definitely want to do it that way. <laughs> Um, I, I tell you, I, I think um, today is a watershed day in the Tribune history because, um, well, first of all, let's introduce this. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to the Weekly Run podcast, where we've been not so weekly during the off season, but it's the off season. Yeah. Um, and today, I have my pleasure to introduce my new coworker. My very, very good friend, the ultra-talented, ultra-nerdy, ultra-smart, ultra-charismatic, Mr. Andy B. Larson. Thank you for that introduction. That was, that was real. Uh, it, is, it is truly a privilege to work alongside the great Tony Jones. Uh, that's why I took the job mainly, is to work <laughs> alongside you. <laughs> so... I'll tell you, it, it, listen, from, from, from me to you, um, I couldn't be happier that, that, you're, that you're at the, uh, the Tribune. Um, I've said this to you in private many times, Now I'll say it to you in public. I think that I thought that you were uh, a hell of a competitor, um, and it's good to have you on my side. You're like Draymond Green. Like, I just wow. hated playing against you, but I'm going to love playing with you. And as I said before, you're one of my very good friends. Um, and, you know, it's really good to see good things happen to good people. And I, I really, uh, I'm, I'm just like really stoked and excited that you're here, man. Well, thanks. No, it, it honestly is, it is really cool. I mean, I grew up reading the Tribune. I remember like every morning with my breakfast cereal, I would get, you know, I would take out the Tribune and read like Ross Seiler and Steve Loom and those guys. And, you know, later on, obviously like guys like BTS and, um, Michael C. Lewis, and you know, all, go, so on and so forth, and obviously you, Aaron, um, Kyle, you know. So getting to work here uh, feels really special to me, and so I'm, I'm really excited to kind of bring what I do to the Tribune, learn from the Tribune's resources, and uh, yeah, get to get to work. Yep. So you know, I, I think. You know, there's there's no real natural natural segue in here, but I mean, <laughs> getting to work. Well, I mean, we, yeah. we we do cover the Utah Jazz, yeah. and it is now late July, almost early early August, and the preseason schedule has come out today. Uh, we are 65 days away from Jazz basketball again, and um, so what do we think of? Of the Jazz, I mean, they're they're done. They have a two-way contract left to give. They may or may not give it to Stanton kid, uh, you know. So, you know, they're they're pretty much essentially done. Their roster yeah. is finished. Uh, there's no more moves to be made for them. Uh, so, what 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 do we think of the roster right now, as opposed to where they are individually, and where they are in the Western Conference? Yeah, you know, I I think we should you know expect a similar looking team to what it was over the last half of the season, you know, I, and that's not to say that the Jazz will finish the season 29 and 6 again, because 
you know, that's that's not going to happen. You're, you're not going to have – they're not going to be a 60-win team next year, I don't think. But I think it's fair to expect them to kind of keep some of the cohesion that they learned over the last part of the, uh, the, the year, um, play both the easy and the hard parts of the schedule with – more again more cohesion a better defensive system ricky rubio will be more of a of a natural fit right away and uh really kind of compete for and probably win one of the top four spots in the west well here's what i think um and this is this is a good thing and this is a not so this may be a not so good thing i think that this jazz team um has a chance to win 55 games next year Mm -hmm. because they have uh, tremendous top-end talent with Donovan Mitchell and, and Rudy Gobert. Um, they have tremendous depth. Um, you know, their first 12 players are pretty much rotation players. You can argue their first 13 players. Yeah. Um, you know, who's at the end of the bench, who's not really a rotation player? Jo- George, George. George is not really a rotation player, yeah. and that might be it. Um, um, so their depth – they have the depth to withstand injuries, except for if that injury is the Donovan Mitchell or Rudy Gobert. Um, and they, ha- they, they obviously have one of the best three defenses uh, in the league. If you add those up, uh, you combine all of those together, uh, those three combinations could give you 55 wins, even in a, in a Western Conference as stacked as, as, as what the Jazz are going to face this year. The question is, is this team built for the playoffs? And that's that's the major question. When, you know, if they face Houston or if they face Oklahoma City or if they face LeBron or if they face, obviously, Golden State and those teams can scheme scheme you to death and like yeah. they did against Rudy Gobert, uh, is this team going to be better equipped uh, than they were Last year, now obviously they were really good good against Oklahoma City, but they were poorly equipped um, to to defend the, to defend the Rockets. And maybe Ricky Rubio being out had something to do with that. But even if he plays, that's a six game series. Agreed. Yeah, I, I don't think that would have been close. And, and honestly, you know, Houston's a good team that deserves the respect given how well they played in both the regular season and the playoffs. I mean, they. Honestly, I think should have won the championship last year. If you look at how if Chris Paul is healthy for games six and seven uh, in the Western Conference, if they don't lose those big leads, if they can make a three-point shot in game seven of the Western Conference Finals, you know, it's a completely, completely different story. But uh, I, I do think that it's fair to expect some regression from the Rockets. And then, uh, I, you know, I think that the if you get more, again, development from Donovan and Rudy, uh, and I think a better idea of how to attack switching defenses. And from what I hear from Quinn Snyder and the Jazz's coaching staff, that's going to be a major focus this training camp is uh, honestly one-on-one play. And it's going mm-hmm. it's, it's not the way Quinn Snyder likes to work, but the, the truth of the matter is that more of these teams are going to be switching defenses, kind of copying the, the success of the, the Warriors and the Rockets than ever. And, and, we, and, and the Jazz kind of need to figure out what it is that uh, – allows them to work best against that kind of defense. And so, you know, I expect the Jazz to be more prepared than they were this last season. I don't know that it was a preparation issue in the playoffs. I think a lot of it was just, you know, Chris Paul's talent won them at least two games in that series. But I uh, think it was a preparation issue in in the sense that you really got to go through it 
to, yeah. to really get a feel for it. Not not preparation as in, you know, we're not prepared because we didn't watch enough film. It's preparation because this is what all young teams have to go through. They have to go through a progression. And I think that that's what that, – that's what – the, the, the preparation issue was against the Rockets. That was a veteran team. Yeah. All of those guys have been through the wars before, except for maybe Clint Capella. Um, the Jazz were not a veteran team. So, you know, I think that that's, that's the thing. But even then, like, when kind of the, the deal with the switching defense is it does remove some of the X's and O's, right? Like, if you're just playing one-on-one and that's that's all you've got, you've got to be better than your man. And right. You know, with without Ricky Rubio, the Jazz had Donovan Mitchell to be that kind of scorer, and honestly, a little bit Alec Burks, who played a big role in that series. But um, clearly, I think that they'll want more player development from guys like Dante Exum, Royce O'Neal, um, even maybe a Grayson Allen could be a, an option against that kind of defense. Well, the, the the thing is, I mean, and it's and it's 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 really apropos that you that you mentioned Dante and Royce. Those two guys, to me, they determine the ceiling of this Jazz team. Yeah. Because I think you know what you're going to get from Donovan Mitchell. He's going to make a leap. Or if he doesn't make a leap, he's still a really very good player. He scored 38 in a coaching okay. playoff game so last year. So let's know, say, like, okay, he doesn't make a leap. He's only so, that. So, so if he's only that, he's <laughs> still pretty good. He's still pretty good. But if he makes a leap, we're talking about a superstar. Um, and if so, you know what you're going to get from Rudy Gobert. Um, you know what you're going to get from, from, from most of the rest of the roster. The wild cards are Royce O'Neal and, and Dante Exum. Those are the guys that can get better this summer. Yeah. Those are the guys that have a ceiling this summer, and obviously Don, Donovan Mitchell can get better. But are you not throwing Grayson in that boat too? Well, we're throwing Grayson in that boat, but where does Grayson play? Right. I'm, I'm talking about the guys that are like in the rotation right now. Sure. You know, Ricky Rubio can get better because he's been in the system for a year. Jay Crowder can get better because he's been in the system for a year. And both of those guys are going to go into training camp knowing what to expect. So they can get better in that way. But in terms of Dante Exum and in terms of Royce O'Neal, those are the two guys that can work on their games and that can take a leap in their games. And if they can take a leap in their games, especially in that one-on-one aspect – then you have more guys other than Donovan Mitchell that can break a guy down uh, and, and get to the cup offensively uh, against the switching defense. Let me ask, and we, we've kind of talked about how much depth the Jazz have. Two guys you just mentioned, Dante and Royce, think that they can be starter level or heavy minute rotation guys in the NBA. Is that a worry at all that you have five guys who think that you know they deserve 25, 30 minutes in, in your guard rotation and, and – you you got to figure that out a little bit if you're if you're Quinn Snyder. It, it's a worry, um, but it's also the reason why Dante Axum. One of the reasons why Dante Axum got thirty three million dollars. Yeah. Because I mean, if you're Dennis Lindsay, you're sitting down and you're saying, "Listen, Dante, you're going to be the backup, but we're going to pay you well." Same thing with Derek Favors. You know, you're going to not finish a lot of games. You're going to play twenty five minutes in a lot of games. But guess what? You're gonna secure the bag. You're gonna get. <laughs> you got, you're gonna you get sixteen million think, dollars. Do I think, think it does. Well, I think it does. Do you think? Or I might even say it would go the other way, and you'd be. And Dante's like, look, I'm making eleven million dollars here. I should be getting a ton of minutes. Uh, I I know. I mean, I've had a conversation with Derek, where you know, Derek's like, listen, I'm willing to come back here and play twenty five minutes <laughs> okay. a game. Okay. But I need to be appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be appreciated in the financial sense. And I mean, and it may or may not be the same thing with with Dante Exum, 
But I think Dante knows that, you know, in a, in a, in a big way, he's going to have to go out. He's going to have to prove himself. He's going to have to prove that, he stays, that he's going to stay healthy. That guy missed – Dante missed 70 games last year. Right. You know, so, you know, he's got to go out and play 70 games, play 75 games, be healthy. You know, as, as, as um, unsympathetic as this sound, don't suffer a freak injury. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, get you know, stay healthy and stay durable. It was interesting to hear him talk about when he was coming back last year how part of his rehab was learning how to land correctly. And, you know, that's not to say that what happened with T.J. Warren during the, the preseason last year was anything Dante could have done anything about. But I think we've seen from guys like Alec Burks, who always seems to land awkwardly and whether, I don't again, not the cause of his injury, but – uh, it seems like it, it hurts the Jazz in transition defense, and it also gives you more of a likelihood to land on the floor in a, in a weird way. And it sounds like that's one of the things the Jazz are worried about is allowing him to land correctly on the floor when he's going up for those layups and be also uh, getting strength in the right areas of his body so that he, he can avoid those injuries. Right. And you know what? And, and, and now and Dante Exum, I, th- I think for the first time in his career, I mean, I think he's going to be a man this year, you know, and I, I think, you know, okay. first three, four years, still kind of growing into his body. You know, I think that this year, you know, this this is the summer that that, you know, this this is this is his body and this is this is him. Uh, this is his athleticism. I mean, he knows what he can do in this league and he knows what he can't do in this league. He has to. And, and I think they, that that he, he he has to do some things. Uh, that can make him better, um, but you know if he can do those things, then I think that he can make a leap and he and he can be better and he can tremendously help this team. I have seen him called on Twitter being referred to as something like Bambi on ice skates. Like <laughs> sometimes yeah, but he it's, hasn't it's... looked 100% comfortable in his body, and you're right, that's something that clearly he needs to develop and has developed a little bit um, to be the player that he can be. It's, it's time for him to transition from that. Yeah, you know he's 20. Is he 22 or 23 now? It's, 22, I think. He's 22 years old. I mean, it's it's, it, you know, he's he's not, you know, here's the thing. I mean, he's in a good spot, right? He's 22 years old because, and he could still, uh, he still has years to get better, and he still has years before his prime. But he's not, he's no longer 17. Right. He's on his second NBA contract now, so, you know, I, I think I don't want to say the clock is ticking for him because he's got a three-year contract, and you know, that's that's fully guaranteed, um, but. You know, it's it's time for him to 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 turn that start turning that potential yeah. into production. Where do you stand on? Where do you think? You know, we we talked about the Jazz as a potential fifty five win team. Where do you think that puts them in the framework of the Western Conference? I still think it puts them third. Okay. Um, but here's the thing, um, and here, here's the thing: it's it's different now because I think last year it was very apparent at the beginning of the season, that this Western Conference was Golden State, Houston, and then everybody else. Yeah. Now it's I think it's Golden State, and then it's Houston, Utah, and Oklahoma City in a clutter. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I think, you know, out of Houston, Utah, and Oklahoma City, I think either one of those three teams are f- capable of finishing second. Um, yeah. And definitely that gap between the, the Rockets and the rest of the conferences has decreased. Uh, and, and I would say that the Jazz are more likely to, to come out of that 
the lump of the Portland, the Minnesotas, the New Orleans, the Oklahoma Cities, um, then I, I would take the Jazz over anyone else in that in that group to finish third. Um, and, and maybe I'm curious to see how the regular season comes out because, you know, obviously the, the Oklahoma City Thunder are, are a good regular season team. Portland won a lot of games last year. Um, but in terms of the playoffs, I, I actually do think the Jazz are better equipped to be a playoff team. They're a better playoff team than a regular season team, in my mind. And you, that may not be you beat the, the Rockets or the Warriors good, but I think in terms of their other Western Conference opponents, I think they're, they're maybe favored to win every single one of those other series. Yeah, I agree. Um, Even if you don't have home court advantage. I mean, the Jazz have won without home court advantage they, against L.A. and Oklahoma City in the last two years. You know, the funny thing about uh, the Jazz last two years in the first round and they didn't have home court advantage, not a person in that organization gave a hoot whether they played, whether they had a home court advantage or not. Everybody in that organization knew that they could win one of the two first two games on the road. Right. Um, and – and I think that that speaks to to how good the Jazz think that they are, and how good, how much they they feel like their their defense travels. And I do think that they they win fifty five. I don't think that they do win fifty. I think they have a chance to win fifty five games. Uh, and I think that if they played Houston tomorrow in a seven game series, I think right now it's a six game series because Trevor Ariza means that it's much a, to them. It's a big loss. It, it, Trevor Ariza was the only guy on that Houston Rockets roster who could guard Donovan Mitchell effectively. Yep. And without him, Donovan, they have I nobody who can. I thought had some success. He had a little in, bit of success season. in the regular season. He had no success in the playoffs. P.J. Tucker can, can, can bother Donovan a little bit with his physicality, but as soon as there's space between them, Donovan can go right by him. Yep. And, and Donovan figured that out by about game three. And when he figured it out, it was it was kind of it was kind of on. And that game five, I mean, he he realized that nobody could guard him. Well, I mean, look at the game two win. I thought he did really well in that game, uh, in a kind of a shocking road win to to make that. Uh, well, he didn't shoot the ball well at all because I we watched that game, so he didn't shoot okay. the ball well at all. But he had a I think he had a double double. He had like ten or eleven assists. That's right. Okay. Because he was playing point guard for most of the for most of the game. And he was, you know, and that's when, when Quinn caught Houston by surprise by scrapping the offense, scrapping his offense and just kind of going to a lot of more pick-and-dive stuff. Yeah, Quick and, and, and that worked. I was surprised at how much that surprised Houston, right, going those kind of dive actions, which I thought they would be better equipped to face. They got a lot of joy from, like, Derek Favors, Rudy Gobert, just slipping to the rim and, and getting easy dunks, um, especially with, like, Donovan Mitchell no-look passes. But... Um, do you want to talk KD and CJ? Of course. Oh, it's all, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let me, for those who are unfamiliar with the Twitter world, with what, what, what happened, let me, let me recap this for you. Yesterday, CJ McCollum uh, had Kevin Durant on his podcast. And uh, Kevin Durant laughed a couple of times on the podcast about a couple things. The Blazers getting swept out of the playoffs in the first round. And DeMarcus Cousins signing with, the Golden State Warriors just laughed it was just you know dismissively so because Kevin Durant is is a champion and it was a derisive laugh yeah so uh Barstool Big Cat another media personality not the biggest Barstool fan in the world but whatever uh was asked do you have the permission to start using the b word for Kevin Durant b word being a literal quote 
I still think the B word is harsh and shouldn't be used, CJ McCollum said. He knows that decision was soft, but I respect it. It's like getting jumped with your brothers by a gang you should have beat, then joining the gang that jumped you and your brothers two months later and forgetting about your bros. Then, Kevin Durant responds, so I would get into a gang fight, lose, plot on my brother for two months in our home, and then go get the gang we lost to and beat him up? You think that low of me, CJ. I just did your bleeping podcast. Snakes in the grass, boy, I tell you. Laughing emoji. Okay, here's what I think about this. It is one thing in reference to Kevin Durant when the fans kind of turn on you for the decision that you made. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's completely one thing. I mean, you can look at the fans and you can say, guess what? You know, y'all not, y'all not hoopers. Y'all don't make more money. Sure. You know, all of y'all kick rocks. And this is what... 90% of NBA players do when they're faced with criticism is just be above it. You yes, know? kick rocks. It's an, it's one thing when the media pan, you know, says, you know what, Kevin Durant didn't have to go to Golden State. And go, Kevin Durant can say, you know what, your media is your reporters. None of y'all play the game, kick rocks. I'll be honest, though. The media's supported him more than fans have on this thing. They have. I'm, but I'm just saying, it's one thing that one. Okay. But it is quite another thing. When 90% of your peers across the league think that the move that you made was really soft. Because those are what your peers think of you. And CJ struck a nerve. I agree. He really... Now, that being said, a random high school kid strikes nerves with Kevin Durant. As we saw on Twitter last night. On Instagram, yeah. (laughs) And on Twitter last night, yeah. But CJ struck a nerve, man. He he struck a nerve. First of all, I want to give CJ McCollum props for his journalism ethics, because I think there's a tendency when you have a player on your podcast that you're going to give that guy some love. And CJ, to his credit, called him a (laughs) B-word that very same day and said, called him out for what he was doing. I like that. I respect the journalistic ethics. By the way, a journalism major, CJ McCollum, uh, I respect that. Second, I love how Kevin Durant literally repeated exactly what he did back to CJ McCollum. So I would get in I would ditch my brothers to go join another team and That's exactly what you did. Yes. That's what you did. That's indeed exactly what you like Kevin, bruh. How do you not have that level of of understand that self-awareness? Like the- uh, I mean, I just left the company to join, go join the Tribune, but I'm not going to be like uh, snakes in the grass to to the KSL people. I don't know. Like I, I, some, you got to have some self-awareness, Katie. you got to have a little bit of self-awareness. And th- there was no self-awareness there. And the third thing is, pop me, kettle, bro, don't ever call <laughs> anybody else a snake. No. Ever in your life. You're, it's over. You, 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 can't, you snaked. You can't say that. You're like Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence in the movie Life. Like, you can't say clock around me. <laughs> say say Lil Watch or something like that. You can't say watch. Say watch again. I'm just going to take all your fronts out. You can't say watch around me. Okay? So you can't say snake to somebody else. No. Because, bro, you left to join a 73-win team that just beat you in the playoffs you just had a 3-1 lead over that team and one of the big reasons that you lost that series was because you went in a tank in game six because you were being recruited by Draymond during the series you can't call anybody a snake ever again no 
And not only, like, how do you describe exactly what you did and then say, you think that low of me? Like, that's exact. like, you, you, you built the narrative. You, that's basically the autobiography you just wrote in that tweet. Here, here. And then it. you're calling CJ McCollum out? This is the problem with Kevin Durant right now. Kevin thought that this was going to be like LeBron. LeBron goes, he takes a lot of heat, and he took an unprecedented amount of heat. But when LeBron won two titles, a lot of that heat died down because he was validated. And Kevin Durant thought that he was going to be validated by two titles, and he hasn't been validated. No, and it's, it's the difference between joining a championship team and joining a, you know, a, a decent... LeBron created a championship right. team. The Miami Heat were in the lottery the year before LeBron went to, to, to the Heat. Right. Okay? They created a championship team. That, that, that's a difference. May, yes, may, at the time, it was a move that was, that was roundly criticized, especially more for the way that LeBron did it than that he did it. But what you did was 100 times worse. Yeah. You went yep. to a 73-win team that did not need you. Yeah, I completely agreed. And – uh, I, I think, honestly, Kevin Durant seems very unhappy. He's a two-time NBA, NBA, NBA champion twice in a row, and he, he seems unhappy in Golden State. And, and that's not to say that he's not having success off the court in his business ventures and everything else. Like, he's in with venture capitalists in, in the Bay Area, and that's great. And, and obviously, he's had all of the success in the world. But happy people don't respond like this. Well, you know, I think I think a lot of it is, you know, first of all, you know, I think he's the best player on the team. I don't know. I think he's the best player on the team. It's still Steph's team, though. But it's still Steph's team. Like, Steph's the most important player on this team. Kevin Durant is the best player. I, oh, I mean, okay, how is that true? I guess, like, to me, Steph has two MVPs and really defined a whole new way to be successful in the well, NBA. Well, Steph is what allows Golden State to be Golden State. He, it, it, Steph has Steph. Steph commands more gravity than maybe anybody who's ever played the game. Look at how the Steph Warriors did compared to the Kevin Durant Oklahoma City Thunder. And the Steph Warriors have a lot of supporting talent, but so did the what is that? The 2011 OKC team that went to the finals with three future MVPs on that roster? Yeah. That should have been a finals winning team with that amount of talent. But yeah. because Steph is so uniquely talented and so uh, with his shooting ability, with his ability to pass, make a play, I, I get why you're saying Kevin Durant, and I think Kevin Durant has more versatility. I think Steph's a better player. The problem is the the Warriors are built perfectly around Steph. Like they have the right amount of spacing. Yeah. Because you have Clay who demands just as much gravity. Sure. You have Draymond Green who's as unique a power forward as anybody who's ever played the position. You have Andre Iguodala who who's probably as unique a six man as anybody who's been a six man. And they're somehow with Steph on the floor. They're, they've been the best defensive team in the league for five years running. Yep. So, I mean, they're built perfectly around them. You look at Oklahoma City around Russ and KD and even James Harden when they had James. There was very little spacing. They have very few shooters other than those, those three guys, very few scores other than those three guys. 
I mean, it just wasn't built perfectly around those sure. that that core like like the like this Golden State Warriors team is. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. Like, I, I think the Golden State uh, four through eight was probably better than the Oklahoma City four through eight. You know, um, and that's where they get everybody. I mean, you think you know there are teams that can match. There are teams that could come close to matching their top end talent. But when you get when you, like you said, when you get four through eight or you know four through nine, I mean nobody's matching that. I think this year their bench got a little bit exposed. It it, it did it did get a little bit exposed, and, and but you know right now their top end talent just can't yeah. be matched. I, I mean. <laughs> Reese Steph versus Kevin Durant. I, I agree, it's close. I don't. I honestly don't think it matters that much. I, I we both agree this is Steph Curry's team, and honestly, I, I would you expect Kevin Durant to leave at some point? I mean, this is not this is I speculation, think but I think he, I think he, he leaves, leaves maybe as soon as the next off. I think he leaves as soon as the next. I uh, think right now. I think right now. I, I think he realizes that he's got to get one on his own, like, you know. I mean, history is not going to take away his titles, but nobody's nobody res- nobody respects his titles. Yeah, like yeah. They, nobody respects him. And, and I, I I think that's well, nobody outside we, of Golden State. And even then, they respect Steph and honestly, probably Dre more, and Clay. Like they they respect the original guys, and Kevin Durant's this nice piece who I think everyone recognizes is one of the, the top five players in the NBA, uh, but. You know, he's, he's, the, the, they know he's not essential. Here's the telltale sign of Kevin Durant: they can win when he shoots five or twenty-two from the field, yeah. easily. They don't need him to win. Yeah. If Steph shoots five or twenty-two from the field, guess what? They're probably gonna lose that game. <laughs> now, there's like game. What was it? Game three of the finals this year, where Kevin Durant, you know, took over and Steph had a bad night, and that's, you know, they still won the game anyway. Yeah. Um, but I think as a as a team, you know, there are obviously exceptions to the rule. But I but I agree that they they rely on Steph to get everything going for them. Yeah. Um, and anyway, uh, it it's legitimately fascinating. It, it, the NBA is such a good soap opera. <laughs> like as as a way more than any other sports league, I think just the personalities and the players come out so much, and it's it's such a it's such a rich league to follow. Like it's it's honestly it's it's great. Are, are we putting the Spurs in the playoffs? I'm putting the Spurs in the playoffs. Uh, oof. it's hard to. I don't yes. think so. I'm absolutely putting the Spurs in the playoffs. Who do you who do you keep out? I'm taking taking out the Timberwolves. I wow. think they're a mess. They are a mess off the court. On the court, I still think they have a lot of talent. I I think they have some talent. I think. I think right now, I mean, Jeff Teague is good. I mean, obviously, Jimmy Butler's Jimmy Butler. He's a top ten player. I mean. Uh, you know, Cat's really, really good on one end. On one end, <laughs> yeah. Um, Wiggins is is really, he's really talented. Good. He's talented. But you'd rather have Joe Ingles on your team. Well, Joe does more right now. Yeah. But you know, Wiggins can go get you twenty five, <laughs> man. On thirty shots, ah, thirty mid rangers. Look, man. Right now, you're doing you're, you're doing the analytic thing. Look, that's it's not analytics. I think his teammates, his his coaching staff agree that there's a a problem there with with the way Andrew Wiggins plays the game. Very lackadaisical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it, it, the analytics pointed out, but it's not anything you and I can't see with the eye test either. Analytics tried to tell me that Robert Covington was better than Andrew Wiggins. They may not be wrong. 
They are wrong. You put, I mean, obviously context matters so much. But I think Andrew Wiggins, because he takes so many bad shots and doesn't play defense, like, you have to, he's never going to be the best player. And, and, okay, if he plays like this, he can't be a, a helpful player on a winning team. Well, it, this, these are the problems I see with the Timberwolves right now. They have a very nice starting five that are going to play 44 minutes a game. Um, <laughs> they have their, you know, right now, who's their score off the bench? It's no Jamal Crawford. Derrick Rose. That's my guy. Just believe, Tony, Derrick Rose is going to do it for him. But, mm. I, I mean, the Timberwolves out of the playoffs would be pretty shocking. Spurs are the Spurs, man. Spurs are the Spurs. Um, listen, I, I get it. DeJounte Murray, DeMar DeRozan, who is their small forward right now? Uh, is it Marco Bellinelli? Rudy Gay? You're, you're playing Rudy Gay at the three? I don't know. Do you want to play him at the three defensively? Bertans? <laughs> yeah, you're right. So, DeJounte, uh, DeMar. Play DeMar at the three and, like, Derek White at the two or something? I don't play know. Play DeMar at the three, Derek White at the two. Patty Mills at the two. LaMarcus yeah, at the four. Jakob at the five. Ooh, that's rough. Powell at the five. I mean, they have they have some. Powell's close to wash. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> you're you're the one who's trying to say he, they're going to make the playoffs. Uh, yeah, but now I'm actually going through the personnel. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. I mean, Greg Popovich, coach. It would be uh, well. What has it been? God, they have two the really major problems. Yeah. Right now, they're they're not deep. They're defensively challenged. Well, individually, but collectively, pop is pop. They have no spacing. Yeah, look, I mean, the Lakers are going to be in the playoffs, presumably. They're going to be in the playoffs. They have LeBron. Uh, and then do does Denver or maybe the Clippers, I guess. I um, think Denver makes the playoffs. I, I, okay, so then you've got to have two teams of the, the Western Conference playoff teams this year that fall out. And to me, the Spurs are the likeliest. So who's the, who's the next team? It's a great question. Um, okay, let's go. Portland so, downgraded a little bit, losing right, Ed Davis. All right, hold on. Let's, let's do this. Let's do it this way. Golden State's number one, right? Yeah. Houston's number two? Yeah, probably. Do we have Utah or OKC number three? I think based on what we saw in April last year, you got to say Utah. Okay, I I think it can go either way. I still, I, I, I'd go with Utah. got a healthy Andre Robertson, uh, but maybe Man, OKC is so or, athletic. Yeah. Maybe Dante Exum or uh, Rudy Gobert stays healthy the whole year. I, I, I will say this. I don't think Dennis Schroeder is going to be a better third scorer than Carmelo Anthony. Uh, he's and, different. But, yeah, I, I, I don't think he and, is a huge difference maker. And I don't think – I mean, people are going really crazy over this Dennis Schroeder thing. I, I just don't people see People are? I would, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll believe you. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm connected to a lot of OKC Twitter. Oh, okay. So, I mean, he doesn't – he doesn't move the needle for me defensively because he can't defend. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's not a, he's a 29% three-point shooter. And if, I mean, if if he's going to be effective, he's got to play some minutes with Russ. And if he's on the floor with Russ, I'm giving the ball to Russ. I'm not giving yeah. it to Dennis Schroeder. Agreed. Yeah, so I, I think he's a bench scorer. Um, yeah. Which is 18 minutes fine. a night. He's Reggie Jackson. 
Maybe. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I'm agree. not even sure he's as good a scorer in that realm as Reggie Jackson. I'm with was. you. So I'm I'm putting OKC fourth. Okay. So I'll put OKC fourth. So we put in the Lakers fifth. Do we have him that high? I I I would put him fifth because I think LeBron is that good. LeBron is that is really good. It's a worse team than the Cavs last year. I don't think it's a worse team than the Cavs. I think I think with Kuz and Ingram and Josh Hart okay. and Lonzo, those guys are some talented cats. You know, you saying Josh Hart uh, I love may Josh have convinced Hart. me because he, he's had a very good summer league. I think he's a very good 3 and D player. Or and can be and I was pushing Josh Hart before summer league. Just You're also pushing Derrick Rose. And Milos Teodosic. <laughs> <laughs> Andy is here to, to keep me grounded, I love Milos, guys. but, like, yeah, it's not, the, not 18 and 8. Um, okay, I, I'm fine with the Lakers. The problem with the Lakers is – if that thing goes bad, man, it could go bad. Yeah. Uh, they're not – they're going to be awful defensively. I think they're going to be awful. The, the, the problem I really have right now is that they, you know, Josh Hart is the best shooting guard on the roster. He needs to start, and he's not going to start. They're, okay, yeah. They're going to – That defense feels like a bigger problem to me than who starts yeah. at shooting guard. Yeah. Because they're going to be a bottom five team defensively. I don't. I wouldn't go that far. Really? The Cavs were 29th. Is it going to be that bad for them defensively? Who, who's their rim protector? JaVale! Okay. Yeah. Okay, so who's their rim protector? <laughs> <laughs> you put JaVale in pick and roll, and then it's no longer your rim protector. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, pals. Uh Lance Stevenson pretends to play defense, but all the metrics show that he's actually not good at it. Lance Stevenson plays – listen, Lance Stevenson plays defense like a New York guy. He plays defense really hard for the first 10 seconds of the possession. And on national TV. And on national <laughs> TV. You get through those first 10 seconds, you can get anything you want. Rondo, for him – for Rondo, it might be the first three seconds of any possession, and then he uh, – I don't think really he – really quickly. He doesn't pretend anymore. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Uh, honestly, LeBron doesn't even on defense. LeBron don't pretend anymore. Games. Yeah, uh, Kyle Kuzma never did. Uh, Kyle doesn't defend. He. he we should have Kyle. that conversation. Kyle Kuzma really needs to defend in order to like make the most of his NBA career. I've been soft on Kyle. <laughs> that's fair. He's I, your guy. That's my guy, though. <laughs> Love you, Kyle. I don't. I don't know Kyle Kuzma at all. <laughs> I'm just seeing what I see, reporting what I report, and uh, he needs to start playing defense. I, I think it's pretty evident that he Lonzo is actually decent. Lonzo's very good defensively, actually. Um, Brandon Ingram needs to be better defensively. Agreed, and he has the potential to be. And he has the potential to be. You're right. I mean, I still put him in five. Yeah, I think you. they won. So, uh, right, so well, who we got six? Now, this is where it gets a little hazy. Uh, do, we, do we believe that much in Portland? I mean, they were obviously the three seed last year, but sweep – Plus losing Ed Davis. More than that, Ed Davis. I mean, they lost Shabazz Napier. Yeah. That's big. It's medium big. I think it's big. Shabazz was good. He was good. He was good. Uh, okay, so how so, about the Pellies? All right, so are, are we putting Portland six? No, I'll say New Orleans instead. So we're putting Pelican six. Okay, this, this is still – there's there's some questions with the Pelicans okay. that we still have. Who is their small forward? Because that was the qu- that's been the question for like the last five years. Do they still have Quincy Pondexter? Can he be healthy again, or did they? I don't. Him? I don't think he's in the league anymore, bro. 
think I'm just, I'm just hoping. No, Q went back to Chicago in the uh, oh, the right. Meritage trade, that's... and now he, and then where is he at after that? Each <laughs> one uh, more, right? So six four though. He's not he's not a traditional small. Uh, small okay, forward. he's not a traditional small forward. That's number one. Number two, um, they got a lot of career years from guys last year. They got a career year from Drew. Um, they had a career year from Etwan. Nico. They had a career year from Nico. When he played. And and I think two of those three played above their heads last year. Yeah. I think Drew Holiday is what he is. I think Drew is terrific. I think he's I think he's an all star. Um They do you like Frank Jackson coming back? Do you like Julius Randle? Okay, so I, I love the way Frank looked in summer league. For the half that he played, <laughs> yeah. Right. So we need Frank. We need Frank to play. Basketball. We need Frank to stay healthy and stay on the floor. But did you see his explosiveness? He's he's athletic and Good. explosive as I get mean. Out. He looked like Russell Westbrook out there. All right, all right. Let's slow down. <laughs> Maybe the single most athletic player ever. He yeah, looked yeah, like he him a little like bit. Russ. He looked. I'm going to text Frank Jackson right now and ask him. Did you look like, well, he's going to say yes. I'm going to text. Uh, you know you what? You ask me if I look like Lee Jenkins out there, I'm going to say yes. If you yeah. ask me, do, do I look like Boris Cujo? I'm definitely <laughs> going to say yes. Uh, I like the Julius Randle signing for them. It's, it's weird, um, but it's cheap, and I, I think he, he's going to add some. Uh, I, I, uh, some of what they'll lose from you know healthy Demarcus, and honestly, they had it pretty figured out without Demarcus Cousins too. I think six is really reasonable for them. Uh, do we put Portland seventh then? He's literally texting Frank Jackson as we speak right now. Though, by the way, I'm distracting him with my questions. Are you are you putting in your text to Frank Jackson? By the way, like Andy Larson's a hater. No, it <laughs> he says said you, he said you this is be what Russell it says, Westbrook, bro. It says, says, Frank, I'm doing a pod now and talking about you. Do you agree? Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) It said, I thought you looked like Russ out there in Summer League. Do you agree? I just (laughs) sent it. Let's see if he texts back. (laughs) (laughs) He texts back in the next few minutes. Otherwise, we got to end the podcast relatively soon. So, Um, so, um, I got Denver 7. Good okay. Lord. If we have Denver 7, do we have Portland 8? I, I don't think that's unreasonable. I think Denver's going to be good. I think Denver's going to be really good. I think they're going to have the best offense in the league. Well, Golden State still exists, right? So everything has to be done relative to Golden State. They have the best non-Golden they might have the best non-Golden State offense in the league. They went so heavy in that direction. Like uh, again, at some point, I need them to start playing defense. Like, I don't care if you've got the second best o- – okay, I do care. If you've got the second best offense in the league. But if you're 20th defensively, you're still probably a playoff team. But I, I still wonder what, like, their direction is as a franchise. A well, they, their problem is they, – they have the same problem as New Orleans. I mean, Will Barton's going to be their three. Is he really? Yeah. Will Barton is going to be their small forward. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, but, I mean, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton. Isaiah Thomas. Paul Millsap, Nicola, Isaiah. Yeah, all those are. Good Lord. They can score. Yeah, they can, they can definitely score. Um, figuring out how they're going to defend is going to be a problem. 
I mean, even like Trey Lyles, right? Like Trey can score. Um, yeah, they're gonna be. I mean, it's gonna be almost the '80s Denver Nuggets, right? Where yeah. you could score in bunches, average. We're just gonna out. We're just gonna outscore everybody. And you know, won 48 games. <laughs> Which is on, you know would put them in the seventh spot in the West. So hey, if they do it, good for them. Paul and Gary Harris are the only two guys on their roster who have ever defended in their NBA careers. And Millsap is slipping. <laughs> and Paul's not the same guy he was defensively. Uh, I mean, Mason Plumlee still on that roster? Like, he can defend a little bit. He can block a shot. I'm not sure he can defend. He can block a shot. So, so then, I mean, if we're doing that, then we got Portland, San Antonio, Minnesota. <laughs> you got uh, Minnesota is there for me. So you're taking Minnesota? Yeah. They're good. Okay. Top. I, I, who's the okay? Damon is probably the best player out of those three teams. Yes. First team All NBA. Yeah. I'd still probably take Minnesota. It's the Western Conference is crazy. That we're talking about that is two of those three teams are going to miss the playoffs. Yeah. The San Antonio Spurs, who haven't missed the playoffs in 20 years, with LaMarcus Aldridge, who was fantastic last year, and DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. <laughs> and, or you know, or the Portland Trailblazers with Dame Lillard, first-team All-NBA, plus C.J. McCollum, plus a great coach in Terry Stotts. Okay, good coach in Terry Stotts. I like Terry Stotts, but, like... I think he's a very good coach. Yeah, I think he's, like... I think he's awesome. I think he's, like, 10th. He defends the Jazz, like, so well. Yeah. Oh, he. D- yeah. <laughs> he's very clever. I li- I like that about Terry Stotts. I think like I think he loses his guys sometimes, and like they go in and out of whether or not they run a system. But when they do, I think they're very they're very. Now good. Portland's got some questions though. Who's their third guard? Uh, Et right. Evan Turner. Good lord, that's not good. No, it's not good. <laughs> but hey, they're paying him what eighteen million a year. Like. So is Wade Baldwin their third guard? Wade Baldwin might be their fourth guard. Might be their fourth guard. Uh, yeah. I mean, do you start ET or do you, or are we starting Mo Harkless? How could you be Mo Hark- Mo Harkless? Ruin the joke. Uh, probably Mo, and then you have Evan Turner coming off the bench as like a kind of score. But like Mo Harkless needs to be set up right, so you want him playing next to Damon CJ. Yeah. I mean, it's. Really, you should stagger Damon CJ as much as possible, so you always have at least one of those guys on the floor. You know, would you consider bringing CJ off the bench? No, I would still start him. You just do. You just pull him out out of after six minutes of the first quarter and have him play the entire second. Yeah, man, it's because that's you know that's still what makes you special is that you have one of the top five backcourts. Nurk is still good. Zach Collins really needs to make a leap this year. Yeah, I wasn't that impressed with him in summer league. Yeah, I think he, I think he's, he's young though. I he's th- only twenty. He, I think he's got to take a leap. Maybe sh- they should have drafted Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> you think? <laughs> there are a lot of NBA teams who are thinking. Well, I can tell you how many teams. There are twelve teams who are thinking <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> even the Celtics are like, yeah, we got Jason Tatum, but you know, Donovan. If Donovan takes a leap this year. I mean, it, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be. He really gonna, could be a top five player. They're, yeah, they're gonna be. He he he. They're gonna be tough. Um, so 
there it is. Frank there Jackson is. is not texting me back, All by right. the way. So one I more think. thing. I actually, this podcast has gone on too long already. Let's no, it hasn't. What, how long? You guys Every, usually go like forty-five minutes, man, right? Man, listen. How how long have we gone? We've gone forty-nine minutes. Feels like two. <laughs> two minutes. Okay. All right. Uh, real quick, you had a Jay Crowder story this week, right? Yes. Uh, talking about Jay's role and Jay's familiarity with Utah Jazz and that how uh, he needed that this season and will use that next season. Yes. Uh, do you want to say anything more about it? Or just go to Salt Lake Tribune, go to SLTrib.com um, and read it? Go to SLTrib.com and read it. But, I mean, subscribe. I, I thought it was subscribe to the Tribune. We need it. Um, but I, I thought that it was very big of Jay in what I thought was going to be a routine interview uh, for him to open up yeah. to me and and talk about some of the demons that he went through last year. I mean, it was – I think it was a really uh, huge thing for him to admit that, like, yo, there were times I just did not want to play basketball last right. year. Um, and, and everyone understands that being in, in that situation of your, your mother dying is, you know. And, it, and I think I it explains a lot. It yeah. explains what went on in Cleveland with him. I mean, he, he looked checked out. Yeah. Um, and, and lost. Yeah, in the way that it makes sense, and I, yeah. I think you know, obviously, some time with that, and then also just familiarity with what Quinn wants to do and where he fits in, um, I think will will pay a lot of dividends with him. I, I, I still believe in him as as one of the best role players in the league. I think he can. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I, I think with Ricky Rubio with Jay Crowder, I think a lack, no acclim. I, I think that. They don't have an. There's going to be no acclimation period. Yeah, and I think that that's going to be big for them. Yeah, there was no acclimation period last year. There will be next year. There will be this year. Anyway. No, there was an acclimation period. Oh, there was. Got, got, and got, there got, won't got, be got, 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 got. this year. Like they're they're going to come in the training camp able to hit the ground running. Yeah. Thumbs up. I <laughs> gotcha. I think it's time to end this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I guess you. Do you bring it out? You brought us in. Should I bring us out? I'll bring us out. Man, you're the radio host, bro. That's true. I got to do that. Uh, All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to The Weekly Run, now featuring Tony Jones and Andy Larson. Uh, You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Coming soon on Spotify. Thank you so much. We're out.